listening to Law and Gospel Wednesday Bible Study on this April the 10th in the year of our Lord 2019. An opportunity for congregations to have a little Bible study at their church every Wednesday at 9.30 Central Time. Listen to me for a half hour and then discuss it afterwards. What we're going to be discussing today is obviously the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his passion, why he did this, etc. What do you think we're going to be looking at? I dare say that the vast majority of people will think about some gospel from the New Testament. But we're actually going to look at a chapter from the Old Testament books dealing with the passion and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So if you'll turn to Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53. Last week in one of the Bible studies I was doing, an individual asked, do you have a paper or something where you make note of prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled? Well, it just so happens that another congregation, I had done a Bible study, it took oh a few months to do it, where we went from Genesis 1 through the end of Malachi, and we found almost 300 passages dealing with prophecies that were fulfilled in the Old Testament. In other words, every third page that were fulfilled in the New Testament Every third page of the Old Testament had a prophecy about Jesus Christ fulfilled in the New Testament. And, of course, one of the biggest chapters is Isaiah 53. So, without further ado, let's take a look at it. Verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? Now, that's Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? We know from the New Testament that Jesus is at the right hand of God. And he would be the arm of the Lord sent to earth in order to redeem those who became believers. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root Out of dry ground. Now, what does that mean? Chapter 53, verse 2. Well, it appears that Jesus was probably one who wasn't really considered by taking a look at him. Oh, he obviously is the Messiah. When it says out of dry ground, that means he wasn't a deeply rooted tree. Uh, a weak sapling. That's what he looked like. He had the he had no form of majesty that we should look at him. That's verse two. Uh, for example, in a lot of movies, you'll have the leading character, male or female, very handsome or very beautiful. Jesus did not have that. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, Jesus wasn't ugly, but he was common. He would have been no way looked at and said, well, obviously this is Christ. 
This is the Messiah who has finally come. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. Well, all you have to do is read the passion of Jesus and see how he was really rejected by the religious leaders of that day and despised by the Romans. They made fun of him, all kinds of things at the cross. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now, if this isn't talking about Jesus Christ, who is it talking about? In fact, there's a passage in the New Testament that talks about that there were a number of individuals who believed in Jesus Christ, but they kept silent about it, They hid their face from him, lest they give the impression that they did believe he was the Messiah, and therefore they would be thrown out of the synagogue. Verse 4 talks about the purpose for which he had come. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now that was clear throughout the life of Jesus At the beginning of his ministry, he did a lot of miracles. In that way, he was indeed carrying the sorrows of people who were ill. Yet, at the cross, look at verse 4. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. See, that was the thinking of the Pharisees. Once they and the court decided to put him to death. They did so because they thought he was contrary to their understanding of the word of God. And therefore, his crucifixion would have been for what he had been saying, smitten by God and afflicted. But in case you want to know why he was afflicted, and the disciples on the road to Emmaus had not yet figured that out. They knew he had been crucified. They heard rumors that he had risen from the dead, and they were totally perplexed. And I'm sure Jesus, therefore, may have used Isaiah 53 to indicate the necessity for his crucifixion. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. What does that all that mean? Well, if you take a look at the beginning of the Bible, God said, in the day that you sin, death will be the result. And that death should have been ours, eternal hell, because of our sin. But Jesus, he became wounded For our transgressions, he was paying the punishment for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement. What does that mean? The punishment from God that brought us peace. What peace? I mean, what kind of peace do we have in this sin-fallen world? Well, it's not in the world that we have peace, but in the church. In the spiritual realm, we now no longer have a God who is against us because of our sins. 
he has been reconciled by the death of Jesus Christ. By his stripes, we are healed. Now, a lot of times I've been asked the question, who is responsible for the death of Jesus? Uh, For a time, some Christians thought the Jews were responsible. And then, of course, the Romans were responsible. And then others would say, no, it was our sins that are responsible for putting him on the cross. But let's take a look at verse 6. Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, just like Adam and Eve did by eating the forbidden fruit. And listen to this next. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That means, and that kind of reminds me of Luke 15, the lost sheep, that Jesus picked up the lost sheep as the shepherd, put it on his shoulders and carried it home. That's what he did with our sins. He put them on his shoulders and went the way of the cross. And that was the father who laid on him the iniquity of us all. So one can say that, yes, our sins are responsible for what Jesus did, but the fact of the matter that from before the foundation of the world, the Holy Trinity had made the decision that the second person of the Trinity would become a human being and what would be laid on him, the sins of everyone. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Remember before Pontius Pilate, he refused to answer the questions. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. If that doesn't remind you of John the Baptizer's words, behold the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who consider that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, you see, he was really oppressed. Just listen to the trial of Jesus, people lying about him. Uh, Even when he said, destroy this temple, I'll restore it in three days, saying he's talking about the temple that Herod helped to rebuild. How can he do that? Remember Jeremiah, boy, when he spoke about God coming and through the Babylonians destroying the temple, people wanted to put him to death. No, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and... Jeremiah even uses the phrase that Jesus uses later on, you have made my temple a den of robbers. Nine, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Wow. Joseph of Arimathea. Now, this is written centuries before the crucifixion took place. And it even says specifically, he made his grave with the wicked. Well, those would be the two thieves who were also crucified with him. 
and with a rich man in his death, referring to the death of Jesus, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Pontius Pilate even had to say that. Yeah, I find this man innocent. What do you want me to do with him? Crucify him. Crucify him. Now listen to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord. And there, each letter is capitalized. This is Yahweh. That is the Father. To crush him, it was his will. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. See, this is why in Hebrews it says, for the joy that was set before him, he went the way of the cross. Because he knew that what he was about to do was to effect the salvation of millions and millions of people. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, now listen to this, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We, we talk about this a lot. The two wonderful gifts you get in becoming a Christian are, number one, the forgiveness of sins for sins of commission, and the robe of righteousness, which refers to what? Well, that's for sins of omission. And that is what is given to you to cover you so that when you appear before God on the day of judgment, he sees no sin. He sees nothing but the righteousness of Christ. Listen to that again. He will make many to be accounted righteous. Does that ring a bell? God came to Abraham. Uh, Abraham, I know Sarah, she's 65 years old, but she's going to have a baby, and he is going to be a blessing to all the nations. That, that's Isaac. Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. This is the very essence of the Reformation. Abraham was not accounted righteous because he was such a righteous man. No, he was a sinner, 100%. Because righteousness doesn't come about because, guess what? We now grow to be better people, more obedient. It comes about through faith. I mean, if, uh, I'll tell you what actually happened. I had a co-pastor, Pastor Peter Krauski. And he had uh, been visiting a Jewish lady who was not Christian. And he was telling her about Jesus. And he quoted these passages from Isaiah 53. Wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you know what the lady said? Well, I'm sorry, Pastor but we Jews don't believe in the New Testament books. She was totally unaware that what he was quoting 
was from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a a wonderful passage. In fact, I had some brochures for Jewish people, and it only used Old Testament passages to preach about Jesus Christ. And on the one side of the page, uh, they were written in English, and on the other side of the page, it was the original Hebrew from the Bible. And they became very helpful. There was more than one Jew who ended up becoming Christian and Lutheran, joining our congregation. And that's because the Word of God is not just the New Testament, it's also the Old Testament. And all you need is this verse 11. The righteous one, my servant... That's what we find in Daniel 7. The Ancient of Days sends the servant, the Son of Man, to earth for the purpose of making many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He was the one that took upon himself the punishment of their sins. This is found in Isaiah 53. Going on with verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Now, who's going to deny that that's referring to the two thieves on the cross? At the beginning of the cross, one of the gospel writers said they both railed against Jesus. And it was only later, after Jesus had said specific words from the cross, that the Holy Spirit converted the one thief, uh, both were Jewish, both were looking for the Messiah, who then believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom in the words of Jesus today you will be with me in paradise. In that way, he was numbered with the transgressors. See, this is written centuries before the crucifixion actually took place. And there's very specific items, kind of reminding you of, like Psalm 22 is another one you could go all the way through. Pierced in hands and feet. The the reason I keep mentioning that is because... That was mentioned by David, revealed by David, prior to the crucifixion even being invented. At that time, there was no piercing in hands and feet that we are aware of that David could be talking about. So when he wrote that, he himself really was ignorant of what that meant. And that's why the New Testament clarifies the meaning of the Old Testament prophecies. Well, we're we're still in verse 12. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. What does he say to the Father? One of the words from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, we believe, teach, and confess that the entire world God was reconciled to because of the death of Jesus Christ. 
that the entire world's sins were paid for. They were forgiven. And I know people ask, well, then why don't you believe everybody's going to heaven? We're going to talk more about this tomorrow because we've got some Franciscan monk uh, giving a song and dance that every religion is really from Christianity and everyone's going to be redeemed, etc. Well, they've got a big thing coming up in Albuquerque that you're going to probably be hearing about. And so we need to analyze this to see if that's true from a biblical point of view. That he bore the sin of many, meant he paid the punishment for all. But does that get you to heaven? No. Heaven comes to those who believe that promise, that he bore the sin of many. And if you don't believe that, then you are preferring to pay for your own sins in an eternity of hell. So, ending with verse 12, he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. We've already mentioned that. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, if you you want a little assignment, what you could do is, and you can do this on a sheet of paper on a computer, make two columns. On the left-hand column, write out Isaiah chapter 53. And in the right-hand column, write down the fulfillment of many of these verses from the New Testament books. Now, what you'll have to do is the left-hand column will have to be increased because you're going to have more than one verse for a number of these, like the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's how much God loves you. He loves you so much. The Bible says, you know, scarcely for a friend will we allow ourselves to be put to death. But God allowed himself to be put to death for his enemies. While we were his enemies, he died so that we might live. And it is his love that creates in us the desire to love others, even when they don't deserve it. Because the way the Holy Spirit works, he reminds you of what Jesus has done for you. And in that reminder, he comes to an understanding of what this is all about. And what it is all about is the purpose for which Jesus Christ died on the cross. So Isaiah 53 does two things. Number one, it is prophecies that are fulfilled in the history of the passion of Jesus Christ. Number two, and this is more important than just the fulfillment of the prophecies, Isaiah 53 gives the reason for the necessity of the passion of Jesus Christ. Because you couldn't do it on your own. You can't pay for your own sins. And there's a very simple reason why that can't happen. What are you going to do? Try and do extra good works? No, God expects you to be perfect. And so there's not any way that you can be more than perfect to make up for past sins. Because he's already expecting perfection each and every moment of your life. So what he does is he takes his only begotten son, 
sends him to earth in the form of a human being, although he is still totally God at the same time, and then he obeys the law perfectly. That obedience is then transferred over to you in the robe of righteousness. Just like Abraham, you are accounted righteous. And that word accounted is a legal term. Uh, for example, let's say I get a speeding ticket and I put the policeman on the in the court and I ask him, did you test with a tuning fork uh, the items you used to see how fast I was going? He said, no, I forgot to do that when I went out. The judge will account me righteous, even though I'm still guilty of the crime. That's what Christ has done for you. He paid for your sins. And he was the one that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. On tomorrow's Long Gospel, we're going to be talking about a Franciscan monk that is speaking about all religions really come from Jesus Christ. And he has some very interesting comments. He's going to have a big rally in Albuquerque, so we want you to be aware of this. And Wes Reimnitz will be talking about this tomorrow to warn you what is coming. I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.